0: Have your Bible with you. Turn with me to the gospel according to Mark. New Testament book of Mark. We have finally made it to chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. If you're a guest with us, we're working our way through the book of Mark, looking at our King Jesus and his ministry on earth. And in this special Advent season, we're we're looking at these passages through the lens of Reasons Jesus came uh, to earth. Reasons we celebrate Christmas. And this morning we're going to look at the passage, very familiar story, of Jesus and the paralytic. And see one of the greatest reasons that Jesus came. With all that in mind, let's read together Mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. This is the word of the Lord. And when he, that is Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd... They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. You go in for one thing, and you come back out with so much more. Now, for some of you, that reminds you of trips to Walmart and Target. You think you're going in for one or two things and you come back with so much more. But that reality can be much more frustrating when you think you're going to get an oil change and you come back needing a new transmission. It can be much more serious and much more frightening when you go in thinking, it's just time for my annual checkup. And then you leave. And the doctor has found a lump. You go in thinking you need one thing. And you come back out with so much more. But even in those frustrating and frightening moments, it's a grace because God is showing us what we most need in that moment. Friends, we all come to Jesus for different reasons. Lots of reasons. It might be that we come to Jesus for encouragement. We might come to Jesus to provide us something. We might come to Jesus because our family is in a crisis. But for all the different reasons that we come to Jesus, he comes to us with what we really need. That's what this passage is about. Mark shows us that Jesus came to take care of our biggest problem. Jesus came to meet our greatest need. It's not always what we come to Jesus for, but Jesus came to take care of our sins. With all that in mind, I want to walk through this famous, familiar story and show you three challenges that are inside this story. They're going to show us how Jesus came to meet our greatest problem. The first challenge, the friends face. The friends face the challenge of getting to Jesus, getting to Jesus in verses 1 to 4. Let's read verses 1 to 4 again. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Word has gotten out in Capernaum. Jesus is back. The one who spent that entire night healing everyone. And so the crowds are thicker than ever. If you're five minutes late, you're not going to find an open seat. You're not even going to get in the door. But it doesn't stop these four friends from doing everything they can possibly do and more to get to Jesus. As they face this challenge, friends, I want to encourage you by their example, three ways. Friends, get to Jesus no matter what gets disrupted. Get to him no matter what you have to stop and interrupt. In verse 2, what's Jesus doing? He's preaching the word. We saw in chapter 1, verse 38, that this is why Jesus came. I came so that I might preach. This is priority number one. But these guys, they don't wait for the end of the sermon. They interrupt the most high from doing what is most important. Is there any situation that they would not disrupt to get to Jesus? Friends, get to Jesus no matter Who stands in the way? Verse 4, they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd. The people close to Jesus are the ones preventing others from getting to Jesus. Everybody in the room hopes to see a miracle, but the one who needs a miracle can't get to the one who could provide it. How easy would it have been for those friends either to just give up Or to look at the crowds and say, hey, let's try again when it's not rush hour. Let's try again tomorrow. But these friends are committed to get to Jesus no matter who stands in the way. Friends, get to Jesus no matter what slows you down. In verse 4, they removed the roof. Now, depending on who you listen to, this may or may not have been very difficult Some think it would be a very tough job to get through the roof. Some think it would be very easy. And frankly, I don't know. But I do know this. It's not their roof. They don't own the place. But they are willing to bust through the roof to get to Jesus. They're so desperate, they're doing demo on someone else's house. And so nothing, not even the cost or the trouble that they'll get in, will slow them down. To get to Jesus, brothers and sisters, what's keeping you? In this busy season, what's getting in the way? In this tough year, everything you're going through, what is slowing you down? What this passage is showing us in the example of these friends is friends, it doesn't matter what you've got to disrupt, make a disruption. Stop whatever needs to be stopped. Do whatever you got to do. Get things out of the way. Make time. Get to Jesus. Seek and you will find. This is what David did. Psalm 34 verse 4, he said, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Brothers and sisters, in this moment, Do whatever you got to do to get to Jesus. It's the first challenge that we see in this passage. The second one is not faced by the friends. The second challenge is what the scribes are confronted with. The scribes are confronted by the challenge of getting to the problem. Getting to the issue at hand. We see this in verses 5 to 11. Read those verses one more time. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. All eyes are on Jesus. Every person in the crowd wants to know what is Jesus going to do. Right? The roof has just crumbled over his head in the middle of his sermon. How's he going to handle the interruption? And Jesus turns to the paralytic, the man who has not been able to walk, and says, your sins are forgiven. Why does Jesus say that? Why is that the direction he goes? Isaiah 59 verse 2, Isaiah tells us, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. For instance, see what's happening here is Jesus knows there's a deeper issue in the man's life than the fact that he cannot walk. His physical condition is not the ultimate concern. His problem of not being able to get from place to place on his own feet is not the biggest issue in his life. When he looks in the mirror, he sees a paralytic, but when Jesus looks at him, he sees a sinner. Who do you think you are? What do you think is the biggest issue you face today? Friends, whatever we think, Jesus gets to the problem because he's the one who can take care of it. And that claim is is the reason the scribes react the way they do. In verse 7, they say, why does he speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy means to disrespect or defame God's name. It was such a serious crime that it was punishable by death, according to the Old Testament. So get what they're saying here. They're they're thinking Jesus deserves to die because of what he is claiming. But, listen, the scribes are not wrong in what they say next or what they think next. They They think, who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer is no one. Micah 7.18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Micah who else can do that but God? And so by forgiving this man, Jesus is proclaiming, he's claiming to be God, to have that authority. And he can read the room. They don't actually verbalize the fact that they think Jesus deserves to die, but he knows it. He knows their hearts. He knows what they're thinking. And so he sets out to prove, did you hear the word? His authority again. His right to reign. His prerogative, this time, to forgive. He wants to prove who he is, that w- what he can do. And so... He asks a question that still stumps the wisest in the room. He asks a question that still puzzles the smartest the world has to offer. Which is easier to say? You're forgiven or get up and walk? What's the answer? On one hand, it's easier to say you're forgiven. Because if you say you're forgiven, no one can look inside the man's heart and test if it's true. No one can prove in God's eyes whether this man is now forgiven or not. But if you say, get up and walk, everyone immediately knows if you're for real or not. You can see it. There's evidence. There's a deeper level to this question, friends. Which which is easier to do? To to forgive a man or to make him walk? Well, you and I can do neither. Both are miraculous works, but only one of these two requires death. Only one of these requires a sacrifice. Hebrews 9, verse 22, the writer tells us, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus has the authority to forgive because he has done what is impossible. The cross, friends, tells you and me that our sin is no little issue. Did you hear that? There's no such sin that's small. Your complaints, your gossip, your arguing, your jealousy, your coveting, your white lies, your greed, ignoring the law, whatever it is, speeding there's no such thing as an insignificant sin, because the cross tells you that God himself had to die, that the infinite, holy, perfect Son of God had to die on the cross for you to make it possible for you to be released from your crimes. And Jesus, though he was God and didn't deserve to die, did so that you and I could be forgiven. Friends, the cross is God's way of saying, you can do whatever you want to get to me. You can disrupt whatever you want to disrupt. You can fight through whatever crowd. You can move through any obstacle, but you cannot get to me. Only I can get to you. The biggest obstacle will still be in your way, and you can't break through it. And so when Jesus makes this man walk, when he says, rise, get up, he proves, he proves the same thing that his resurrection proves that he is capable to give you life and to forgive you. Friend, if you're walking through this life with guilt weighing you down, if you feel it in your bones like David did before he confessed, the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to get to Jesus, but that Jesus came to this earth lived his perfect life, died on the cross in your place, and rose again to get to you. And all you have to do is confess your sins to him and trust him that his work is good enough, that he is capable, that he does have the authority to forgive. you believe that, you will be released from your guilt and forgiven. Is the greatest gift you could possibly receive this season. And if you're still living in your sins, trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 10.43, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Brothers and sisters, if you're a believer in Christ, the story's still true. And I want you to be encouraged by this By this reality. We go go through life and we face these challenges. We face struggles. And and the longer we live this life, it's easy to forget just how outrageous it is that God has forgiven us. And what length Christ went through to make us right with God. Friends, Jesus, whatever you're facing today, Jesus has already taken care of your greatest problem. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And the way I want to encourage you is this. If he's already done that, how will he not take care of anything else? If he's already forgiven you, how will he not also handle whatever else you're facing? If you can trust Jesus to forgive you, you can trust Jesus, period. As David once said, blessed is the one who is forgiven. Rest in that. Think about your forgiveness. If you're facing sorrows and trials, if you're struggling in this season, you need to remember who you really were before Christ. And remember what Jesus has done to make you who you are today. There's a third challenge in this passage. Jesus solves the challenge of getting to go home. Because of Jesus, this man gets to go home. And we get to go home. I want you to look at verse 12. And he, that is the paralytic, rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying we never saw anything like this this used to happen to me all the time when I was in the pew at church doesn't happen anymore up here but have you ever tried to stand up after your legs have fallen asleep it's dangerous I used to sit like this and take my notes, everything. And after like 30, 45 minutes of that, when it's time to sing that last song, my legs are so wobbly. I'm like hanging on to the pew for dear life, right? I can't trust my legs in the moment, right? Now, that's 30 minutes. This man's been paralyzed for a long time. And then when Jesus tells him to get up, he's not only not wobbling. He's picking up his mat and carrying the weight with him. Jesus heals this man, just like we've seen over and over again. He heals him immediately and completely. There's no process in this healing. If you come to the Lord for forgiveness, it's the same way. Whether you're coming to the Lord for forgiveness for the first time or you're a believer coming to him with your guilt and your shame and your sin and you're asking for forgiveness, friend, the good news of the gospel is you ask him and it happens right then and there completely. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right after this happens, the crowd hearts like the Red Sea in the house, and they watch the man go home, and the man and his four friends are probably dancing down the street on their way home. And Capernaum, it says, is amazed, all of them, and they glorified God, and they said they've never seen anything like this. Remember where we're at. This is Capernaum. They've seen this over and over again. They've seen more healings than anybody so far. They spent an entire night watching Jesus heal everybody in town. And now, they're stunned. What's new? What's shocking them? It's not the paralytic getting up and walking. It's the fact they've never seen anyone claim the power to forgive and then back it up. They've never seen that kind of authority. Brothers and sisters, if you want forgiveness, Jesus is the only one who can meet that need. Listen, that means no church, no priest, no ritual can free you from your sin. No good work that you do, no sacrifice that you make, can take away your guilt. So brothers and sisters, you can stop trying to earn God's favor by doing enough good before you pray for forgiveness. That's not going to help you. You need to hear this because the world doesn't tell you this either. You don't even have to forgive yourself. You cannot even forgive yourself. That's nowhere found in Scripture. Scripture. Jesus alone brings forgiveness. That's why he came. That's why before the first Christmas, the angel told Joseph this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel said, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Friends, if another religion or another work or another person could forgive you, there'd be no reason for Christmas. If there were any other way to be made right with God, any kind of work, any kind of person, any kind of sacrifice, then Christmas is useless. But Jesus is the one with the authority to forgive. So wherever you may find yourself turning to, to feel better, to feel less guilty, Stop running there and turn to Christ. But for a moment, brothers and sisters, if you would, go back to those four friends and think about their journey. What has happened in Capernaum because they would not let anything get in the way of them getting to Jesus? What all has happened because of their dedication? The man is not only healed and able to walk, He's forgiven. The whole town sees the power of Jesus to forgive. And God, the text says, receives glory and honor by everyone. What would happen if you and I were this determined to bring others to Jesus? What would that look like? What kind of glory are you missing out on because you're not bringing people to Jesus? What kind of amazing things are we missing out on because we're not addressing people's biggest problems? What would it look like if the church dedicated themselves to get to Jesus no matter what? They disrupted anything. They got through anyone. They broke through Any obstacle just to bring people to Jesus. I tell you what, you can't even picture what kind of glory that would look like. You don't have the capacity to know what that would look like. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says that Jesus is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Let that picture sink in. And let me remind you with one more encouragement. I'm trying to motivate you to have this dedication that the friends had. And remember this truth, brothers and sisters. Only the forgiven go home. Only the forgiven get up, take their mat, and go home. What, that, what I'm saying here, friends, is this. Your friends, your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, who do not know the forgiveness of Christ are not going home They may celebrate Christmas this year but they're not heading to their king Who do you need to bring Who do you need dedicate yourself to to bring to Jesus? And what's keeping you from doing that today? What's keeping you from doing that this afternoon? What's keeping you from doing that tomorrow when you go back to work? Brothers and sisters, Jesus came to deal with our biggest problem. And without Him, Those people are paralyzed. They're not coming to Jesus on their own. But Jesus came to get them, and he's sent us as his representatives and ambassadors to go be fishers of men and get them and bring him to our king. And if you've experienced that forgiveness and you know what it tastes like to have that freedom and that joy that comes with knowing Christ and being forgiven, do whatever it takes to bring someone to Jesus. May we be that kind of people. May we see what happens when we dedicate ourselves to that. Let us pray.